every story needs a villain. <laughs> Do you ensure that they aren't all the same? Let's talk about simple techniques to ensure villainous variety in your Dungeons & Dragons game. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. Here, we hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. I am super excited for today's main topic, Villains Variety, because it's easy to create a monster that has stats and different abilities in minions. But what really drives them is their motives, their personalities, all those sorts of things that makes them different, right? Yeah. You can literally, if you do it right, you can have a goblin boss as the villain for the first adventure, then the second adventure, then the third adventure. And if you do it right, they're all different enough that the players don't care it's the same monster. <laughs> and that's some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. So villains in every story, we all know that they need one. And of course, the Heroes in Dungeons and Dragons campaign are likely to face dozens of villains um, before the campaign ends its course, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, now some stories have, you know, the big bad villain, right? But in most cases, there's multiple smaller villains throughout the process as well, right? So coming up with many memorable villains can be a challenge, right? Especially for any DM's imagination because there should be more to them than just their abilities, right? Okay. So to help with that, we're going to discuss a short list of villainous attributes and characteristics to keep in mind when developing your um, villains, right? Yep. And this is a condensed version, mind you. But, yes. So there's other options, but this is a good point to start as any. Yeah. And it's worth noting that this uh, it was an article from the Dr Dragon Magazine 429 by Steve Winter and was really, really well done. If you haven't checked those out, uh, you can find them on DriveThruRPG and pick them up. They're really good stuff. So the purpose of this list, uh, the purpose of this list, uh, is not to roll out a ready-to-play villain, right? Quite the opposite, um, actually. <laughs> though you can do that with these if you want. Um, they instead can kind of steer your creativity uh, onto the pathways that you probably wouldn't take otherwise, and that's kind of the the goal that we want to discuss here. And um, so. We all tend to fall into patterns. Do you guys have a particular pattern of villains that you use? I use kobolds a they, lot. Like the cackling maniacal villain. <laughs> like villain, like, okay, cackling villain. What about you? Like for me, I have this thing where I do the, the simple, yeah, <laughs> the simple evil, yeah. evil guy that's just kind of crazy. That's kind of unfortunately the typical one I fall into. Good job, boss. But I don't want to feel good. I want to feel evil. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I fall into the same pattern. So this list, or this short list, will hopefully help us kind of evaluate. Um, yeah, it did. it's just a big list, and we read a lot. All right. <laughs> um, so our D and D villains come in three basic flavors. We're gonna start just by. Three simple flavors. Chocolate, yep. vanilla, and strawberry. Yes, basically, right? <laughs> but what's interesting is when you mix them in and get swirl, right? Um, that's what we want to focus on today. Um, the first two are typically pretty universal, um, regardless of the medium that you're in, right? But the third is typically only found in fantasy and, and make-believe settings, right? Yep. Though it is worth noting that at some point, you do need to decide which type of villain you're dealing with. And including a, a, a range band of these different personalities is really good, too. That might happen at the beginning of the story, during the design, which honestly never happens with me. But I just kind of I, – I play it up based on the res responses of the players and how the characters uh, react. Um, or you might make it up in the middle or at the end at the very last moment, and that's okay. But the sooner you have this better fleshed out, the, better. the easier it is you're going to be able to design your stories and stuff around it. So the first one – that we want to talk about, the first characteristic is conflicting goals. Yeah. This is a big one, right? The yep. In this case, the villain here is not necessarily somebody who is 
evil. Right. But their goals or views may conflict with those of the the players or society at large. Absolutely. I think that that's a really good point. And there's a lot of good real-life comparisons for this. Yep. Uh, I'm immediately drawn to flat earthers, yep. right? Uh, the, <laughs> earth, the earth is flat. Um, despite what everything else, everyone else tells them. So to me, that's a villain. Okay, maybe that's let's do let's talk about Copernicus instead. Maybe that's a little more relevant, more, more relevant, right? <laughs> For example, to be a hero showing the brutal truth in his era, where he's saying, "Guess what, everyone? We're not the center of the universe." But when the religious are in charge, he becomes kind of the the villain by revealing a truth. Now, is he bad? Nope. No. Not particularly. He just is like, hey, you're wrong. And I think that can make for a really great villain. Someone who is ju- trying to challenge the was status quo in a scenario. Can you guys think of any characters from your favorite anime or movies that kind of yeah. fall under this trope? Well, I just finished watching Breaking Bad, so Walter White comes okay. to mind immediately. Do you want to expand upon that yeah. for those that haven't actually seen that? Who has Spoiler alert. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Well, in I a haven't. nutshell, the main yeah. character discovers in the first episode that he has cancer, has a dead-end job, and is unemployed, and he re- realized, oh crap, this cancer treatment is expensive, we don't have that kind of money, and I'm probably not going to survive. I, I want my family to, to survive. So he basically started cooking meth so he can make money so his kids can go to college and the pay for his medical treatment. And it just escalates from there. <laughs> and so you don't think that, that he's a bad guy. He's that, just trying to break the norms to, to – to, He doesn't start as a bad guy. That was not how he intended to start. <laughs> just trying to pay for his kids, right? And it yeah. kind of just snowballed from there. Oh, yeah. And that's a really good example of the three different uh, ranges, right? Yeah. At the beginning, <laughs> he isn't intent on being a uh, – sorry, I'm poking my fingers. At the beginning, he's not actually intent on being some evil mastermind, right? Basically, he becomes one. But he slowly, slowly becomes one. So he goes from this person with good intentions, albeit a not a great direction. <laughs> to, to I am God. Right. To this yeah, very uh, terrible uh, kind of persona. I'm the one that um, <laughs> Yes. Uh, and if, if you're in the audience and you're on, uh, are, are following us on YouTube or whatever, um, enter in the comments or what are some of your favorite uh, uh, villains that might fall under this conflicting goals where they're not bad. They're just... Their goals don't align with the norm. Do you have any ideas? I have an extremely good example. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, The primary antagonist from Fable 3. Your brother. Did people actually play Fable 3? After 2, it kind of just went down. (laughs) Okay, so you have a tyrannical leader. He's he's a king. And uh, he's punishing everyone like with an iron fist and ruling Mm -hmm. with an iron fist. But there's a reason for that. After you do this uh, rebellion and you overthrow his ass... You kind of choose to like execute them or let them live, just like throw them in the prisons and stuff. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Fatal Three was great. See that? You're wrong. <laughs> and uh, I was talking about the comment before that. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> Specifically, her people. He wants to be in the middle to balance out the hair situation. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Anyways, continue. Yeah. Um, once you take the throne from him, you start going through his stuff, and you find out that he's been taxing or doing super high taxations because he needs a specific amount of money to raise this army to fight this horrifying evil on the other side of the ocean that's slowly coming to your continent and you're like oh shit uh well we need to do something but we can't just do what he was doing there's gotta be another way to raise this money without alarming the populace that's that's a really good example. And we must point out that in Fable 3, your butler's voice by John Cleese, just saying. What? <laughs> <laughs> so this is an interesting one because there's so many different ways you can go about it. And <laughs> for me, these are my favorite kinds of villains because they are relatable. At some point, the players would be like, you know what? This makes sense. Yep. You know, um, but maybe the, the way they're going about it is wrong. I think Thanos is a good example. In his eyes, he's trying to help the universe before he snaps everyone away. The goal is if we don't, we're going to get rid of all of our resources. But instead of, you know, just tripling, quadrupling the resources, he's just like, let's get rid of half the people. So you can kind of understand why he's doing it. The issue is the approach that he's taking makes him against everybody else. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not thinking about some of the villains from Babylon 5. Like, I forget. It's been so long since I watched it. I forget about the the uh, race was called, but they have occasionally they appeared and they started just destroying like entire civilizations. And the main character eventually managed to confront them like, why are you doing this? 
to build up the universe. But we're trying to weed out which races are weak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to give, like, a opposition to those that are still there so they can build themselves up. Because otherwise, you're in a time of peace, you can become complacent. You become weak. We're trying to keep you all strong for what's to come. That's interesting. <laughs> I like that. What's um, that from? Battle of Five. Ed uh, McIntosh mentions that 3E allowed creatures to grow in power or in size. Um, I think that's a really interesting thing for these sorts of scenarios. So if you've got the character who, like Thanos, starts off at a weaker kind of level, right? And as he collects these things to help him achieve his goal, he's becoming stronger. So the longer it takes the players to catch him or the characters to catch him or... um, to uh, get involved, the stronger he becomes, the bigger the challenge that the characters have to overcome. So I think that's a really good uh, core aspect when it comes to designing a villain. The, mo- the motivation of... What's his name? What's that? Uh, Halo. Uh, not not Chief, not Arbiter. The stupid little robot eye that floats around. Oh. Um, uh, I can't remember his name. <laughs> And I feel sad about it's it. A, the spark guy? Yeah. The, the guilty, guilty spark. Guilty spark. spark. <laughs> guilty. <laughs> uh, That's funny. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he, I think he would kind of lay in the same spot as he's trying to, to activate the halo for a good purpose, but to, to everyone blood. else, it's not a good thing. <laughs> right. 343 guilty, guilty spark. spark at your service. Um, yeah, so that's a really good one. And there's a lot of characters. And honestly, once again, for my perspective, this is the most versatile of the three choices. Because in in Thanos' case, he, it's it's murder, right? He's trying to just kill a bunch of people. Yeah, right? Yep. In uh, um, your example, Breaking Bad, what is that guy's name? Walter White. Walter White. He's murdering a few people near the as he progresses. He doesn't go out with that intent. Mirror, no. um, mine apparently, and so in that, so there's there's a huge range Fuck there you. of their villainy, right, and the way it's perceived. Yeah. Um, and I think that as DMs, we can leverage that because when you get to that situation, you can ask yourself, how far is this character willing to go? I want to show share one of my personal favorites that fall in line with this, and I know everyone's gonna hate on me, but in Batman and Robin. With Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze is the perfect – you better move the mic farther away than that uh, – <laughs> is the perfect example because he start. I mean he's a doctor trying to help people when he starts. Uh, and then his wife gets, in, gets this affliction that he has to put her in the cryogenic hold, holding, cryogenically freeze her until he can find a cure. But guess what? That costs money. Yep. And guess what he doesn't have? Money. So he's doing everything he's doing is to save somebody's life. Which, if you think about it, anybody else that gets that disease, if he finds the cure, will life will be saved. Yep. But in the meantime, he's robbing banks. Yep. (laughs) You know, and fighting Batman. So, from a villain perspective, do you think he's a a a bad guy? He doesn't want to be. (laughs) Right. It's just kind of the direction he flew, kind of like Walter White, right? Yep. So, all right, that uh, that'll do. That'll do it for our first one. My neighbor makes this really good rock candy in his basement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I made it. Sorry, go back up. That was my bad. I didn't mean to do that. I was laughing. Like, you need the light thing. Um. So, yeah, right? Uh, so uh, the next we want to talk about is hunger. And hunger is an interesting one because this type is a little bit more evil and a little less redeemable than the first, but is still recognizably one of the people right one of one of the characters right though the hunger could drive an innocent person to do something they wouldn't normally do and i think there's a really great example of this in the DD lore i think where creatures werewolves are a great example of this well depends on which edition you go off of i think well (laughs) in general somebody might be a good farmer and get transformed and then become a savage beast that's attacking because of the thirst of hunger to devour flesh. Same thing with vampires, right? <laughs> Imagine daylight comes, he transforms back, and like, oh man, not again. Right. And and I think that this is a good one because it's not just a thirst for blood like that. Yeah. What are some other examples? What are some hungers I'm, that can I'm drive a pretty other... sure vampirism isn't uh 
especially if somebody doesn't become a vampire or a werewolf by choice. Right. It specifically would be one that's converted, not one of the born, right? Yeah. But the point I'm trying is your villain can start as somebody normal who is then afflicted by a hunger, whether it's a trans hunger for blood like a vampire. I think illithids would be a good example of that. Yes. Mind yes. Flayers. Mind flayers would be a good example because they're created by the, the seeds getting put into the, the person yep. and then they grow inside of well, yeah, the innocent and become a mind flayer. Wormy things. Now, in that case, <laughs> and, I would say – And the original person is long gone. Yeah, I would point. say at that point – the person is long gone, but if somebody's got something in their eye, let's talk about Baldur's Gate 3 if you've not played the, the early access. It's really good. In that situation, your characters all have this affliction. They are going to turn into mind flayers, and they're doing whatever they can to yep. try to survive and find a way to undo it. By the way, if you haven't seen the commercial for that or the trailer for it, Which it, one? It, <laughs> it's, it's squeamish. Oh, yeah. I watch it and I go, Ugh. Give me some body horror there. And not to mention full elephants. Well, they got to feast on the brains of uh, sentient creatures to survive. <laughs> yeah, and that's not their fault that that hunger is there. But, but you can't really blame anybody wanting to purge them just for that either. <laughs> right, but once again, that becomes an understanding thing, right? Right. You have a, a situation. They, uh, Zulandi says that the whole thing feels very relaxed and appealing. That's so it. whoever designed our new set did an excellent job in our opinion. Thanks to Casey, he did phenomenal. We agree. I like this format a lot better. I don't know how they feel about it. It's really pretty. It's very laid back. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's an interesting. I like That's that. That's a great way of telling us stuff. <laughs> so um, uh, uh, I lost my train of thought, so I'm going to get up on this. That's where uh, and oh, Damn it, dude. Uh, <laughs> Andrew says, in the Dresden Files, there's a white court vampire who – Fights against his hunger and tries to live as a human and not as a vampire. Oh, yeah. There's a very popular Marvel character that's like this, too. A few, actually. More well, I'm Blade? thinking Blade specifically, right? Yep. Yeah. He uses a serum to cut back on yep. his thirst. Yeah, it's supposed to help reduce his thirst. But So this is a really great example because these people or these creatures aren't necessarily inherently evil they kind of slowly turn just, into it because of be. something that's happened to them. Mm -hmm. And I think those are the best because think of the time constraint. Let's say a person is bitten by a vampire and, you know, the players, you know, they're having a violent tendencies and they are, are becoming more aggressive slowly. And the characters stumble across this, that first the, the butcher got bit. So now he's eating all of his raw meat. And the characters use oh, no. their skills or resources to determine that, oh, he's becoming a vampire. Yep. You now have 48 hours to find a cure before he ends. So now if you fail, yep. you are the reason this person has become like the, the way they are. Not the initial reason, but your failure. That is such a better storyline, don't you think? Definitely. What are some other ideas of... Hunger that really can drive point, uh, drive home this sort of point. Ooh. It's right there, but it's a, yeah, graboids yeah. always hungry but never satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, we're talking sentient creatures here. Oh damn! So, uh, so at some point, these characters that have this hunger uh, swore to sate, are forced to sate that hunger no matter what the cost, and this is irrevocably going to be a path to evil um clearly something is wrong with these these villains they um they you know make chase, choices that any that no normal person would make but they don't have a choice if i don't suck the blood of the the people i die yep. and what is the strongest emotion love oh no you're wrong stop watching sailor moon hunger eat my ass survival Oh. Survival is okay. one of the strongest emotions a person can have. Yep. Leisha's giving me the same yeah, guy because she I is. said it. <laughs> um, Love is the best emotion. No, it's not. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, and yeah. I think that that's a, 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 another really good one is uh, um, uh, Imhotep, right? Imhotep <laughs> uh, starts off as just somebody who lost his love and wants to resurrect her. You know, and then it comes down to, you know, sacrificing people to get what he wants, you know, which is bad. Yeah, because the ritual involves him, like, feeding on the very people who res them so he can restore his body back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Andrew, uh, I actually have a player that's using the uh, the Dampier, Dampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, Altered Racer, whatever it is, and I'm having them doing that daily. Every time there's they do a long rest, like, okay, roll a d6, find out what you're craving for the day. Oh, I love that. That is so good. And if they and, can't get to it, they turn on their friends. And I think that that's a really good way to have a villain created on your during your game, too, right? Where the person want, wants to wants to play that that dampier and maybe sometimes they lose control and for one you know night they become the villain uh, the other players are kind of paranoid <laughs> and it's and it doesn't even have it doesn't have to be them about them trying to kill the other player but just trying to restrain and control them right yep all right Brandon do you want to tell us about the third one up there pure concentrated evil <laughs> oh come on is that the best you can do no. <laughs> Because I'm doing a Skeletor laugh? That's all right. (laughs) Come back next week for more words from Skeletor. All right, Brandon. Pure concentrated evil. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? (laughs) Uh, Illegal for a fine is legal for a price. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so pure concentrated evil. Uh, This mode isn't quite unique to fantasy. Pure unimaginable evil. Yep. I gave you one job. Yeah, and you know what? I've been distracted this week. So, in most <laughs> fantasy settings, absolutely evil is real. Oh, yeah. Evil is not just an ethical notion. It has arms and legs and eyes and ears, and it walks and it eats, and it gets wet when it rains, much like anyone else. In like a setting like D&T, some villains willingly choose the path of evil. What are some really good examples? Joker. Oh, I was going to say Joker. Okay. So he, he chose the, the, the path of evil, right? Yep. Uh, I was actually thinking within the D&D setting. Ah. There's one that's really popular that sticks Strahd? out really well. Slods, yeah. Strahd. That's what I said. Well, I was thinking liches. Yep. Oh, liches are yeah. mages who want to live forever and... Gain nothing but more, more power. Yep. Um, Is that evil or just being greedy? Well, no, that's 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 pure evil. You know, you have to become a, you have to make sacrifices to become a lich. Part of the the process is to like sacrifice like a city type of area. I forget what they call the area of the ground where they desecrate it, but basically, it's a lot like in uh, what is that anime? Yes, yeah, Metal Alchemist, stone. where they're trying to make the, the sorcerer <laughs> philosopher stone, That's and they got to sacrifice uh, thousands and thousands of people to do it. Yep. Um. So somebody's mentioning Sephiroth up there. I definitely like that, but I think he would fall more under the uh, becoming evil instead of starting evil path, right? Oh, definitely, because he's trying to just rewrite the future. Um. And I think, uh, I think in this example, uh, we see a lot of this in D and D, but I still think. <laughs> What? That's fucking evil. What's that? Uh, Delcinia. Uh, then make their family or murder their family to save the world. Oh God, that's brutal. But is it evil? The life of a few for the many. Uh, I would argue that's not evil. If a if the big bad right. self- said, "Hey, that's kill your family, kill your family members, or I'm going to destroy the world," that that's pretty evil. Yeah. Of him. The person doing it—that's that's not their doing, right? That, I think that, that, that would falls be a, under category one. Yeah, category right. three is the guy making them do it. Yes, and so <laughs> when it comes to uh, villains and their evil nature, I think that this is something that we can um, kind of touch on a little more. These are creatures that are born bad or choose to be. They're naturally sadistic. Uh, man-eating, soul-devouring, evil-worshipping nightmares. Um, maybe they're human, maybe they're something else, right? In D&D, they're all varieties of, of creatures. So, Get the, the stuff of how orcs were in earlier editions, because they were really built that way by their god. <laughs> yeah, and see, that's that's something that's changed a lot in recent D&D, right? Yeah. Where, um, which is weird, because I always felt myself that I had the ability to change their alignment if I chose to. Yeah. Um, so apparently that needs to be written in now. Um, and I've done that with all the, a bunch of the monsters we've written for our show. That's what yep. my brother-in-law keeps saying. Actually, there's something that's inherently evil. There's, uh, chromatic dragons. Yep. Yeah, they're born that way. Yeah, and my brother's like, well, what if I get a black dragon egg, but I raise it to be good? Is it still going to be good? Until like, it eats you. Unless it's got, like, that... <laughs> 
that instinct to become evil. How about you wait a few hundred years and find out? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, that's, so that's the, the thing. Um, that's going into that they're raised that way, not they're born that way. Yeah. Um, so uh, Nature versus nature. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Um, now, when we're, when we're building these characters, remember we said maybe they're human, maybe they're not. Um, it's our goal to keep in mind that they're supposed to be, you know, much worse. Unlike other villains, uh, in the other categories, DMs shouldn't feel any pressure to humanize this villain, right? Um, they're monsters and it should be fueling the players. Uh, uh, it shouldn't be, uh, fueling the, the player's empathy towards them. They should be like, this person's bad. They got to go. Yep. Let's deal with it. Those are some of the good intro adventures to run, I think. Kind of like the uh, creature from the thing. I've never seen. I've not the seen thing. the thing. <laughs> I also realize but but you know the basic premise, though, right? They find this alien creature that basically absorbs no. other living creatures and can imitate them. <laughs> is that called mimic? That is a show, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. <laughs> no, <laughs> and it, that was a good movie. So that's a that's a but is that really an evil creature? That's not evil though, right? Well, considering it's surviving by literally absorbing other living creatures, including humans. <laughs> right, but if it's born that way, it doesn't make it yep. evil. It just means that's its nature. Well, it's heavily implied that it's a existence that's so alien in its nature that we can't understand it or its motives. Mm. And it's also heavily implied to be sentient as well, too. Wouldn't Pumpkinhead be considered pure evil? Remember yes. Much? That's the thing that just hunts and slays people around Halloween, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't know what his reasonings are. Maybe he needs that to survive. But once again, we're kind of we're we're running on the line of some of the other ones where it's hunger versus uh, evil and pure evil. They they don't have they're doing it because they want to, not because they have to. And I think that's a very important yep. uh, distinction. You know, uh, some men just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> yes, and that would be definitely <laughs> fall under that category. What are some other uh, villains you think that would just truly fall under this situation? Now, well, we're, we already touched on Skeletor, who's basically a parody of evil. Yes, <laughs> that's a good one. I don't care what anybody says. That new stuff that they made was great. Yeah, I loved Revelations. And I've and I've actually seen countless people watch it first. Time. This is dumb. Second half comes out. Okay, but you, you may have no no knew what you were doing. Right, right. <laughs> um, so Blade. ah, Teen Titans. I don't know his story, so I don't know. Does he fall under that? Why is he the way he is? I don't know. Wow, thought, we are just full of insight and wisdom just, on this show. I thought he was just e- evil. Yep. But we don't we don't know. We're we're shown one side of it from the Teen Titans perspective. Yep. It all goes back to what is the reason they're doing what they're doing. So melodrama uh, plays a well, plays tight. well in fantasy and even more so yeah, in yep. role playing games, right? Yep. Uh, and a few villains uh, do melodrama as well as those melodrama. brewed from pure <laughs> concentrated evil. I think spirits fall into that yep. in some capacity too. Like evil in Time Bandits, who actually is the villain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, you know players can hate the villain without guilt. Yep. And these, this is important to have these occasionally because it can be taxing for the players to constantly have to deal with. Oh, but it's not really a bad person. It's just they're in a situation that they don't have a choice. Because there is something at times where it's just fun at the end of the day to have something just just to be evil purge on sight. <laughs> yes, hate the villain, not the game. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and I, I think that, you know, we um, – most D&D adventures, you know, end with the characters killing and slaying the villain. Everyone can feel good about striking a lethal blow yeah. against these fiends. Darth Vader, before anything was known about his life as Anakin, as a- was one of these examples. Yep. Because until we knew his backstory, he was just outright a bastard. Yep. He's evil. And there was no other way to take it. He literally follows the dark side. But it wasn't until his backstory was revealed that he didn't start out that way. He became it. So that's a really good callback to the, when we talked about the progression of a yep. character to evil. Right? And the Clone Wars series here is a much better job of showing that than the movies. Yeah. Which is a shame. If you haven't seen those, you need to. Um, They're great. So, I wonder about Palpatine. Did he uh, become evil? Or – he just I don't know. That, he right? didn't. I don't know anymore. He changed the cannon. Some of Disney's really screwed it all up. So who knows? <laughs> Way to go, mouse. All right. I think. Is there any other points you guys want to touch on this? Because I think these three points alone are super valuable to discerning. Because even just thinking about it in the discussions that we've had, yep. we've got a lot of different 
variety of villain villains to discuss. Um, I think mindless evil could be. One. Yep. Like someone had brought up zombies that they're not evil because they want to be or because they can be. They don't know what they're doing. It's just what they are. Yes. Oh, shit. Maybe that just falls under hunger. Yes. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> yes. Depends they're on, not evil. They're they're just trying to eat to survive. Depends so, on what kind of zombies we're maybe talking. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't know that they'll not the die. What was zombies? Or not living dead zombies? Which ones? Or the eye zombie zombies. <laughs> uh, Ed is saying five years <laughs> stripping the game of reliable villains. Uh. Yon T can be good now. Okay, why is that stripping away anything? I disagree with you. Yep. Um, <laughs> like, by so far, get creative. <laughs> They're just not writing the lore and flavor for you anymore. <laughs> Which I guess is kind of the point, so that is kind of a bit of a letdown. I'll yeah. tell you about my uh, um, uh, Beholders. Beholders. Yep. Um, those are pure, unadulterated evil creatures. They were. Wow. <laughs> But I can go up to Xanathar and give him a high five. At a cost. But, anyway, so that's a good example. <laughs> now we've got an entire character who basically runs underneath this what was Waterdeep, right? Yep. And runs this cult and everything. So, um, that's more interesting than him just rolling around killing people, I think. Yep. Um, and I think that's part of the yep. reason they're doing that. And that's how we end up with the whole Rezo situation. Yeah. Uh, also, it's like beholders uh, reproduce by dreaming. Yep. Did you know that? Yep. Ooh. Beholders reproduce by dreaming? Yep. No, what the hell? Yeah, they have nightmares uh, about themselves, I guess, and then it's just how bad they hate other ones, and they just kind of spew out new ones. And it manifests a new beholder, because that's how their magic works. All right, so there's one more thing that we want to talk about um, before we move on from our main topic, and that's further variety. So what follows is a clinic of an overview of... Uh, things to consider uh, to ensure that your villains have lots of variety. The first one is monster type. Holy goodness, hadn't thought about this. So let's think about it. Just the monster type of the villain can be interesting. So at a glance, let's talk about the ooze. At a glance, the deck appears stacked against a creature ever taking a lead role, right? It's it's, yep. a, it's a blob. <laughs> yep. Um, but... How do we know that their their little intelligence scores don't conceal a thought process that's super complex? You just mentioned it yep. specifically. The thing. The thing, right? That it's actually sentient. And it's, we, it seems dumb because we just can't comprehend its, um, yep. its uh, alien thought, right? Yep. We can't just comprehend it. So consider such creatures grown to enormous size and loosed in the city in the sewers. Mm, the blob. <laughs> Able to seep through any opening, to attack through any grate, any drain, to survive on whatever food it washes over. You'll float too. What do you guys <laughs> think about that? That's definitely brain interesting where they go. And as you're kind of touching that too, you can give it additional bits like telepathy. Oh, give it telepathy and tie it into the far realm? Yep. And I would love to see it. It would be like a primary villain. <laughs> I think it would be so good. And so little <laughs> things like that. When you think about your character's, uh, your villain's uh, theme, also consider just randomly picking a monster. Don't pick the monster first, because that's what I do. Yep. And it's horrible. I pick the monster and then try to make a story that fits that monster. Right. Well, vampire, right? That's a pretty tr- generic one. They're hunters, right? But a news. You're saying that they come across the big bang. You're just... Magic okay. horror. Yeah. That, that's your big bad. Yeah. And then try to find a, a story suitable or out of the ordinary for that monster. That would be a great Manticores are a, a unique in the fact that they're just typically beasts. Yep. But maybe there's an abnormal one that's really giant that is storming through giant cities and knocking down business buildings and fighting a giant flying, you know, butterfly. <laughs> or a troll that regrew a head that looks like she intelligence. Oh, that would be so cool. Can you imagine that having a troll that's just like all right, listen, fellows. I'm not here to start a war. I am just really hungry. And then my primary diet consists of those grapes that grow in that farm. So I'm just asking, if you do not want me to bash your skull in with my giant stick, please just allow me to devour the delicious fruit. And the other hand is going, <laughs> I dropped a pencil with my bum, now I need a band-aid. <laughs> that's not an a troll, but that's an atten, but that works too. Although multi-headed <laughs> trolls can be a thing too, too. Damn right they can be. All right, I think that'll do it for our main topic today. Uh, before we move on, we have to take a minute to uh, hear a word from our sponsor, 
Us. Us. Uh, <laughs> we have released our Crit Academy oh, yeah. map pack that is now available on Drive Through RPG. It is 12 hand draw uh, maps by the amazing author Gene Lorber for only $9.99. $9.99. What's really cool is they're available for commercial use and come with a commercial license. So for all you publishing content creators out there, swing by and pick it up. Um, you can pick it up over at rebrand.ly slash crit map pack. Please consider checking that out. Uh, it's a uh, less than a buck a piece and you'll be supporting the show and you get some fat loots for it. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to our unearthed tips and tricks. And now what you've all been waiting for our unearthed tips and tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Moving on to our first Unearthed Tips and Tricks, our monster. Um, if you don't know, every week we do phenomenal monsters, uh, great um, the stories, and and different ways you can use them for our patrons. If this tickles your dice, consider maybe uh, becoming a patron. All right, today we're going to talk about the Aether Stone Miner. So in order to build on this uh, CR2 monster, we're going to lose some uh, lose some different abilities. Uh, we're going to start with this Bandit Stat Block. If you're wondering why, somebody actually asked me one time why I use pre-existing monsters. They're already made. Because they're already made. <laughs> and they're easier to balance. Uh, and on top of that, it's easier to tell you start with a stat block and make these changes than trying to feed you 20 stats. Yep. Anyways, uh, so we're going to start with the Bandit Captain Stat Block. We're going to lose the Scimitar, Parry, and we're going to swap Dex and Strength, right? Yep. Then we're going to give it the proficiency in the Persuasion Skill, Dark Vision, and Devil Sight. <laughs> if you don't know, Devil Sight lets you see in magical darkness. Yep. Now we're also going to give it Dwarven Resilience because we want it to be a. It's a. It's an Aetherstone Miner. It's going to be a dwarf. A dwarf, right? Yep. Um, and so uh, now that we did that, last week we introduced a new mechanic we've been experimenting with. We gave the Resurgence, which means when a creature takes damage equal to or greater than the resurgence, a new effect triggers automatically, no cost for reaction, nothing. Yep. It's just an effect. Ian, you want to tell us about the resurgence power that our Aetherstone Miner gets? Absolutely. This is a resurgence 15 power, so that means if you take 15 or more damage, this comes into play. When the Miner takes damage from a single attack greater than its threshold, its flesh becomes as hard as stone. For up to a minute, as of concentrating on a spell... The Myra has immunity to piercing, slashing from non-magical attacks that aren't adamantine. Additionally, the Myra gains vulnerability to thunder damage. Yeah. Yes. Okay. What? Uh, okay, so for, uh, before we get into that, we <laughs> got to make some other changes here. Uh, we're going to give it, uh, we're going to alter its spell, we're going to give it spellcasting. Yep. Um, Brandon, do you want to tell us about some of the spellcasting features we're going to give it? Uh, spellcasting uh, at will, it can mold earth. That's from uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. <laughs> Uh, one day each, it can melt into stone, shape stone, and, and those are the spells. And we're going to give it a war pick weapon, which I really added additional features on top of the 1d8 damage. It's going to target, when it hits a creature that's concentrating on a spell, the creature has disadvantage on the con save. Ooh, that's brutal. That's brutal. <laughs> and we're going to give it a really cool, uh... Ability called Cutting Parry, since it's using a pick that's really curved, when a creature attacks the miner with a melee attack, it may use its reaction to catch the weapon in the hook of its war pick, parrying the target while the hooked, uh, while the weapon is hooked, and then the war pick sinks into them. The miner makes an attack roll on the pick. If the result is high equals or is higher than the attack roll of the attacker, it deals the weapon's normal damage. Does that mean the attack is higher than the attacker's attack or higher than their damage? Higher than the attacker's attack roll. Okay. Mm. So basically you're going attack roll against attack roll, and whichever hires counters it. So this meant and we were uh, basically giving it a chance to attack a second time. Yep. If the players don't figure this out, they're going to take way more damage if they don't retreat and attack now, from a distance. Now you're saying when a creature attacks the miner, yeah. not when it hits them. Yes. Yes. So if your attack is an eight... You're gonna the miner's gonna have a more higher success chance. Okay. So, what do you guys think about this? 
Well, this seems to be really hard to kill, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, I want to just give a huge shout out to Andrew for totally appreciating that I gave it vulnerabilities. Fair enough. Um, I love vulnerability, and there needs to be more of them. So I want to talk. I want to talk about the resurgence power. Yep. What did you guys think about that? It reminds me of Bloody Kimpori. Yeah, that's exactly the inspiration, but it's based on the threshold mechanic and the boats on in the book. Um, which I think is interesting. So overall, this monster, his skin gets hard when he's fighting, making yep. him very difficult in melee, and he can counter you with his hooked war pick during melee yep. attacks. So what would you do as player characters? Oh, thanks, Andrew. That's, that's yep. gruesome. <laughs> yeah. So There's more combat crap well, there. <laughs> you can't use darkness. Ha! He's got yeah. devil sights, so that's out of the question. Uh, thunder wave, thunder wave. Yep. Yeah, I think it was that the that was that the uh, weakness vulnerability ad, right? Yeah, that's... yeah blood, uh, thunder damage, thunder yeah. damage. So the, the as character players, we want to uh, oh, try they... to avoid melee. <laughs> yep, and that's assuming the players even figure all that stuff out as they fight it. <laughs> yes, and that's that's the so I've had a we've been making a, kind of experimenting with design changes for our monsters, and something I think needs to be done more is resistances and vulnerabilities and tactics that force the players to change the way they normally do things. Because typically the barbarian is going to do what? Run in and charge and, and fight, uh, right? I rage. But does it make <laughs> sense that a if a you're fighting something that's going to counter parry every time you strike yep. to decide to step back and throw javelins instead? Potentially, it, yeah. It basically it, – it rewards that sort of tactical play versus you know yep. not doing that. So I really like this. Um, and if it sounds good to you guys, um, you want to check it out, we're going to have a backstory and different ways you can use it on our Patreon, uh, fully fleshed out, cool. or you can just grab the stats from this. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you know how this thing like, uh, counter strikes every time you attack it? Well, guess what? Grapple's not an attack. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, I can picture some rules lawyer going. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Fine, rules um, lawyer, I mean me. Uh, <laughs> well, isn't it, it says when it makes a melee attack, not, um... I think technically grapple is a special melee attack, but but you're not doing an attack roll, so yeah, replace your. You're, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. All right, so that's a good point. I'm gonna have to rewrite that. Thank you for that. If you throw them, <laughs> is it considered an attack? No, I don't. I wouldn't. That's a, that's. Shiny. I think we're they're talking about melee weapon attack, and he's not using a weapon anyway, so it wouldn't matter. Which I think is still appropriate, so I, maybe I won't change it. All right, let's move on to our encounter. Your monk, their Lake of Acid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Hanila, a small town wizard, put out in a call for adventurers. A rift to the Shadowfell has opened up near the town, no. causing a flood of necrotic creatures spilling disease and poisons into the lake. The characters must purify the lake and deal with the black puddings that have spilled out of the rift. They nasty. The lake has several runoffs. And if the characters aren't able to control it, the putrid mess will spread to other towns. The characters must decide the priority. Yep. Slay the alien creatures first, heal the sick and dying, or quarantine off the lake's runoff streams before they reach more settlements. Talk about each, being evil. God. Each option will lead to a potential unpleasant disaster. <laughs> the characters are damned if they do. Yep. Damned if they don't. See, what I like about this encounter is, let's be real here. There is no good option. No, there's not, and that's the that's the problem, right? Yep. And so, as players, how would you feel about running into an encounter like this? Quarantining the uh, uh, the, the outlets of the uh, river would be the best thing to do. Okay. Because. Because yeah, that would minimize the more potential victims down the line. So, and in, meanwhile, in the distance, you hear all of the crying and agony and suffering of everyone in town who's being plagued by this disease. Wow, that yeah. sounds familiar. Yeah, you take inspiration where you can get it. I <laughs> you could have quarantined it, but then it happened. But I think it's interesting because that obviously makes the most sense. Yeah, but. How is the player characters going to react when no a, a a young family is begging them to save them because they've they've got blotches all over them? They're coughing up blood. They're in agony and suffering, and they're screaming, "Save us! Save us! Save us!" Give them a placebo. It's the best you're gonna do. Yep. Oh, we're gonna bring real life doctors into this, huh? Yeah. Uh, okay, I see what you did. What about you, Ian? 
like I said, I like this encounter because there's so many ways it can play out depending on which option they choose. Yep, I, and that's kind of what I was going for here. Uh, so uh, I'm glad you guys like it. Um, we do have a question from uh, Jade Gordon that totally says totally. goes back to the mechanic of resurgence. Cool. Uh, do you use different mechanic uh, and when uh, like when it deals damage? You certainly could. I put the trigger for damage because that's the one thing that's almost guaranteed to be part of a battle. It's consistent. But you could have triggers for like if somebody casts like a charm spell on them redirects it or something i don't know i mean those are definitely things you can do you can use trap they pull out a mirror <laughs> all right brandon uh would you like to tell us about our magic item today our magic item the ghost oil yeah oh that sounds sexy. it's yk it's the best <laughs> <laughs> yeah potion rare this dark ale smells of musty soil but it has a hint of something rich and inviting uh but turns into a soft blue flame when poured like you don't light it, like you just pour it out and. Yep. And yeah, that's what I. That's what I think I wrote. Yep. I wrote it two weeks the ago. Oil so I don't can remember. cover a medium or small or smaller creature, along with the equipment it's wearing and carrying. That sounds Ooh. painful. The additional vial <laughs> is required for each size category above medium. So you need more if you want to help other people bigger than you. Right. Applying the oil takes ten minutes. The creature gains the following benefits for one hour. Oh. It can fly. The creature gains a fly speed equal to its walk speed, and it can hover. Nice. Incorporeal movement. The creature can move through other creatures and objects as if they were difficult terrain. It takes five or one to dead force damage if it ends its turn inside of something. <laughs> Withering touch. That's why it's called YK. With. <laughs> oh my god. Inside something. Yes. You're welcome. When the creature makes an attack, it deals an additional seven or two d6 necrotic damage because it's got the oil on it. Yeah. What do you guys think? This is a fun one. It isn't it? Make sure you track that time, because the last thing you want to do is be flying in the air when it runs out. Or inside, or inside somebody. <laughs> or something. Like, I can totally imagine playing a character who's just running back and forth to get inside people, and just to say, oh, I've been inside all of you. <laughs> anyway, this is a pretty straightforward magic <laughs> potion. Um, definitely fun. Uh, what's... Uh, all right, it's our dream. They're, they're making a South Park reference, and I got mm -hmm. it. Yep. All right. Uh, <laughs> William happens. German says the last option is best as life loss from e – oh, he's talking about the uh, encounter. encounter thing previously. All right, I think this is a simple potion, a fun magic item. Uh, drop it in your games. The one thing I love about potions is their one-time use, so if you make it super powerful, it's only going to yep. be a problem for a session. Yep. The problem though is when we make it one-time use, they're going to do what every player does in video games. I'm going to hoard this hoard it <laughs> and wait to use it until I really need it, and then never use it. They'll, they'll hold it on forever, and then they empty their backpack at the end of the adventure. What's this? Oh, I was saving for a critical. Didn't you fight a dragon and it kill half your friends? Yeah. Well, yeah. You have how many cheese wheels in here? <laughs> so, Ian, would you like to tell us about a Dungeon Master tip today? Yes. And this is something I wholeheartedly agree with, despite what some people say online. And this comes from Monty Cook from Dungeon Magazine 136. Sometimes it's just the DM's fault. You're not infallible despite what you think with your almighty godlike powers. Yep. We make bad decisions. <laughs> Some of you regularly. Yeah. The truth of it is, sometimes some, when something's going wrong in the game, it's the DM's fault. Yep. Some things that DMs do are just plain wrong. We all make mistakes, and we all have our shortcomings. If you're a DM and you don't think you have some feelings, you might want to re-examine your style and your approach. <laughs> or just ask your players. Everyone has a few things that they can improve on. Yep. Or phobias that they could just get rid of. But sometimes, particularly for DMs that have been DMing for a long time, we grow blind to our own deficiencies. Yeah, uh, I'm guilty of this. When I first started, um, I just thought I was the baddest thing to hit the other side of the, the screen, man. <laughs> and I still feel that way, but I've learned a lot since then. So yep. now I really believe it. And then I showed up. No. <laughs> what are some What are some qualities you guys think you've had that you didn't know you had until a special event revealed it? Yep. Well, one thing I got called out for was like uh, I was running a module one time that didn't really get say, say what happens if a player f fails other than they die. It's like, but I don't want them to die. I'm like, eh, close enough. <laughs> Which I even found seven they rolled their check. Uh, and so afterwards, don't ever say close enough. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what about you? There was a moment when I was doing the haunt, and it was the first time that this happened, and I should have caught it as the DM, but I didn't. Yep. That is... Spoiler alert, by the way. 
the haunt has been out forever. I think you're clear. It's just in case, you never know. There's some of those people that are just too poor to do it. Um, yes. If you haven't got the haunt, you need it to check was, it out. It's great. Uh, by Phil Beckwith. Uh, the story says that uh, the foyer that goes to the basement and the second level unlocks if they explore, explore five or more rooms on the first level. Yep. I didn't know that, and I've run through that adventure a dozen times. <laughs> it says that. <laughs> but here's the issue, is that if you go to the basement and they fail the puzzle in the basement, they end up right outside the main boss's door. They don't get to explore the second floor. That's the one, that's where they got the, the human, like, golem or something down there, right? All the little, yeah, yeah, the yeah. little feet and stuff you got put together. Mm-hmm. Well, the first time someone failed that is when I realized this, because I was like, okay, so I put them right here, and, well, wait, what about the rest of the house? What about the evil doll? They don't get to experience that stuff. It's the best part. Yeah. And they went straight to the boss. And like, well, this was over like an hour and a half longer or early before I was supposed to. I'll tell you one of my greatest weakness and I'll never, ever admit to it again. So here it is on the internet for the world to see. He's going to say, I don't have any. <laughs> Watch. I don't have any. You bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I purpose, purposefully changed a rule. So that my match, my my session, wouldn't boss wouldn't end immediately. I made so okay. So the players are chasing down the bid bad. They're in the temple. They're there to slay the the it's a water temple because you know I'm Zelda nut. And they're in there and they have to. I created a thing that controls the water flow right. And the big bad is basically a sentient shark right. Um and oh so. They go to fight the boss. Hello. And the guy's like, can I just pull the lever and drain out all the water? And I just looked at myself and was just like, if he does that, it only has a swim speed. I didn't give it a walk speed. It's a giant killer shark. Because, you know, Jaws. And he's like, I'll just drain out all the water. And I hadn't thought about that at all. And I was like, nope, doesn't work. And that was a terrible thing for me to do. Because I failed. What I should have did is said, you know what, you're right. And just let it lower the water, catch the damn thing inside of the giant temple room and let him slay it as it's flopping like a fish out of boat. Because <laughs> the one with that open jaw swings by and hits your character. Yeah, and that was that was a All huge mistake on my part and something that does happen regularly. But that was the moment where I realized I punished my players for outthinking me. And that's actually a common thing I see among bad DMs. Yeah. Like, whoa, 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 backtrack. You just implied that I'm a bad DM, and I don't think I. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Did I name your name? I don't think so. I felt I felt I felt disturbance in the dice. Yeah. Well, I did have a good. I can name, name a few examples I, I've been through, but one that was kind of, that went around a Facebook group for a while was a guy posted, and he, and he took a lot, a lot of flack for this, and rightfully so, where he's like, "The fighter drank a potion of uh, fire and vulnerability." Discovers it does not work in his armor, and his armor melts, and the dragon breathes fire on him. <laughs> and I was like, "That's stupid. That's, that's dumb. That's very anti-fire." Good. I hope he got burned. <laughs> Get, and worse, he doubled down. <laughs> what do you do? Well, this is how I run my game. That that, that whole that's a that's a whole BS. Yeah, yeah. So don't do that. I yeah. did that, and I realized it later that it was a problem. Yeah. And, and actually, girl. the one time I recall in the game I was in, where the players revolted so hard against the DM. Was when we all basically got hit by that game's. This was Dragon Age, not, not D and D, mind you. But, like yeah. that game's of a fireball. He, he then said, "Everything I need that's flammable, that's not magical, is now destroyed." <laughs> Douche. Yeah. Oh, the players. <laughs> it did not go over well. I bet. And it included. It included the bowstring on my magical bow. I was an archer. <laughs> yeah, you can still throw your bow. I'll tell you a, wi- a win I did as a DM. The yep. players found a used magic bag of holding. Oh, yeah? And as you guys have heard before, I think I said it once, as a used magic bag of holding is when you put stuff in it. When you take it out, it's covered in glitter because it's used. That's how all these <laughs> things work. And, like, how much glitter is in there? It's, like, enough to cover stuff. It's, like, if we leave it empty and it says when you flip it inside out, all the contents spew out, can we use that as a weapon? It's, like, you know what? Just for that, yes. Uh, too much. It's, like, next no, time you... You see an enemy, if there's nothing in the bag, if you flip it inside out, I'll put them under the blind condition for one yeah. round. But oh. I do want to go over some of the examples that we have listed here, too. I though. forgot there was examples, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> go oh, ahead. Is there one specifically you want to talk about? Well, How about scrolled past a couple of them. Oh, I'm sorry. That was my bad. <laughs> yep. Like, 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 the first and foremost example was, when you start the game at 7, we're just scheduled for 6 p.m. 
that tells me that you're not respecting your player's time. <laughs> yes. What are you looking at me for? Yep. And <laughs> actually, the, sometimes it's not our fault. We it depends on how often of, you do it. Out of work late or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and actually, one mistake I think many teams can make is if you don't respect the player's time. And that's a lot of ways it can take form, but that's definitely one of them. Yeah. And... Okay. Who wants the next one? Uh, if you fail to take challenges seriously, the players may believe you'll never let anything happen to them. Yep. I know for a fact that my players know that their characters are not going to be saved by me. I'm sure both of these players have lost a character. Yes. You got out of jail free because at a high level, it's just an inconvenience to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> You, you killed yourself more I, than once. I killed myself more than okay. once. All right. And yeah. one is the players are struck by TV or other things. You might be boring them. Ugh. Yeah. Um, I don't consider that a problem. Yeah. Because I've heard like a bunch of like DMs complain about how I hate when we play with my phone. It's like, um, some people like to multitask. <laughs> yeah. And who cares? I mean, it's, that's, it's a community social game and the intention's not always on them. Yep. And sometimes I, Though I can get distracted easily, so I might focus on one other thing at the same time yeah. to keep it focused. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about the minimum hygiene requirement, Brandon. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie about that. Uh, well, first off, I'm not going to drop yeah, names just... because my players know that I do this, so they might be watching now. One of y'all stink. Uh, one, Shower. One you smell, Put on some deodorant. Uh, smelled like ass when he came by at one point, and <sighs> it was very distracting the whole game. Yes, it's it's. So it, make sure you're washing yourself. That's a thing with nerdy guys. Get shower. So it's not just a DM thing; it's a player thing too. Yes, that goes <laughs> both ways. Everything. But yeah, um, I hope that the DM is showered when everyone shows up. But don't you yep. come in my room and stink up my house? Yep. And then another one is if the store, if your play, players just aren't interested in your story or your campaign arc. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's your fault. Yep, it's 100 percent your fault. It's our job as the DM. To engage the players. Yep. And if you don't, if you think it's all about your story and they're not having fun, you're wrong. Yep. Period. Yep. Okay. So. Or players are interested what to do next. Now. Okay. This will connect back to that first one. Oh, okay. Yeah. What is it? I'm going to, I'm going to eat my ass. That's what you're going to (laughs) do. The distracted TV. If you're the player that's distracted all the time and I got to repeat myself. That's different. That's different than being distracted and still know what's going on. Right. Let's get that out there. <laughs> so um, wait, where'd the gold go? It's like you should have been paying attention. Uh, yeah, and I'm perfectly okay to just go swing right by it. But I also forget a lot even when I am paying attention, so you got to kind of find a happy yeah. gr- happy ground. Like I hope I would never be punished for forgetting as much crap as I forget. Like what are we doing again? <laughs> or as we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier too, if you punish players for doing a good job. <laughs> yes, like I did. Like, there's one time, too, where we solved a DM's puzzle right away, and he had to tell us about 15, 20 minutes, so he kept on stonewalling us, even though we solved it. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> I And honestly, I've done that. Yeah. Um. There was a time when I was playing 4E where I would spend a lot of time building these intricate scenes and stuff. Yep. And players are like, no. Nope. And sometimes they would just bypass my puzzle, and inside I'm screaming because I spent so much time building this thing. Not just the puzzle, but, like, the actual like gizmo that they're playing with with a little sweet and yep and i have stonewalled them and i've learned that that's that <clears throat> that's another reason why i love fifth edition in theater of the mind because no longer do i feel like i have to push them down away of something i've designed yep does what i recall there was one game of pathfinder where we found out the dungeon was actually three sub levels un- underneath the mansion i'm like it's, wait so we know it's three sub levels right yeah why <laughs> Shape stone, jump down to the next floor. Shape stone, so you down to the next floor. Shape stone, down to the next floor. <laughs> See, that's, and that's the stuff we need to be rewarding as DMs all the time. All right, we've been on this long enough. Yep. That'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Let's move on to our player tip of the podcast. Don't, Don't be, be a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by educating yourself on the favored of the All-Father. Father. Favored of the All-Father. Dwarves know Moradin as the All-Father because he crafted all dwarves from stone. Yep. Yet, Moradin has made many things in his immortal lifetime. This is interesting. Yep. Some were stronger. Some were more beautiful. But none found so much favor in Morden's uh in Morden's bejeweled heart as his dwarves. The dwarves were the 
final or were the first sorry the first of morden's makings that made him proud not only at his own skill yeah but proud to know that proud to know them and prouder still that they prayed to him dwarfs honor their creator through prayer but also through proud traditions knowledge and customs passed down through generations Almost unchanged from the Dawn Age, guide dwarves through uncertain present and into the unknowable future with confidence that what has been will be. The past lives on in the present through the deeds of honorable dwarves. So shall it always be as long as any favored of the Allfather draw breath. This was written for Dragon Magazine 391 by Matt uh Sarnet. and i really think this is interesting because we know that dwarves like drinking we know they hate elves but what are their other flavors the favors and cultures and traditions that they do you smart ass that really um exhibit their 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 creator well as we establish here they view the more than here as the elf father who's the maker and well dwarves make things <laughs> yes and apparently sartrain wants to know wait Dwarves are crafted from stone. Can you use stone shape on them? No. <laughs> they started off that way. They don't stay that way. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? What do you think about this? <clears throat> so this tip's a little different than what we normally do. I want to start giving player tips to help players connect to their class history and lore and their race lore and stuff yep. as well. If and you don't like this, let me know. And not enough players are... DMs do that, in my opinion, and people do forget that there is a lore associated with the game, and admittedly, I do think that the publisher could do a better job of communicating some of that lore. But Well, yeah. they did in 4th edition, and nobody liked it. That's one thing I have. I don't yep. care what anybody says. One thing 4th edition did, I think their guidebooks are some of the best that exist. Although it's worth mentioning, though, that a lot of that was because they changed a lot of the lore, too, so... Hmm. That's where this comes from, so if you don't like it, yeah, change it, which I- is everyone does, but... I like Forgotten Realms. Yeah. I love Ed Greenwood's writing, and a lot of that was – I don't know if you guys know, but in the, the magazine, the Dragon and Dungeon magazine, there's a lot of articles written by Ed Greenwood in there. Um, so there's stuff that he wrote for the canon, and I just – I love it. What do you think about this? I like it specifically because I don't know jack about lore. They were... Yep, and – Anything. And uh, so apparently it's the same with a lot of people in chat too. They, they want more 5e lore. Yep. Well, I'm. Uh, we're gonna try to feed it to you as players um, through our player tips as well, because we do. We've done the the etiquette. We've done the optimization. Yep. Lore isn't exactly something we've done a lot of, and I want to kind of expand on that because there's a lot. And as Delcia pointed out, Mr. Rex's channel does a very good job of that on YouTube. So, hmm? who? Mr. Rex. Why are we sending other people? To other places? No, like, I'm just kidding. Well, yes. what's the whole thing? So, uh, Mr. Rex does really good work. Um, Go watch him after you watch all of our episodes. Yes, like uh, like the Gith Yankee. When we did the episode on that, I know what those were. I know realized they're astral sea pirates. Like that's pretty badass. Space pirates. Yep. Yes, astral uh, sea pirates. I guess. Yes. Yeah. So, um, this one is all about the favored of the All Father. So when you're playing your dwarf, consider what is a ritual. Even talk to your DM and say, Hey, I want this ritual to be something that's been passed down to worship Moradin. <laughs> Can I do that? You can even make up your own. Maybe it's a something as simple as knocking on a door three times. Yep. Nobody? Knock, 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 knock on wood. <laughs> Nobody at all. Okay. Thank you. If you, anybody's watched Big Bang, you know, Sheldon always knocks on the doors. Penny. And the, yeah, <laughs> Penny. 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 Anyways, so uh, coming up with something like that's really cool. Uh, I can do this before he starts working on something, pounding on a hammer. Morden. 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right. That'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't, Don't be, be a, a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by remembering the favorite of the All-Father. So, as always... I'm not picturing George Smith. I think he sings a hammer. More than... More than... <laughs> <laughs> so, as always, um, before we close out, we love to give away fat loots to our audience. Brandon, what RPG fat loot giveaway do we have in store for our fans today? Uh. Our RPG Fat Loot giveaway for this week is Villains Next Door. <laughs> that sounds like a bad Like dirty? <laughs> yes. Villains create conflict. Conflict creates the call to action every short st- or every story needs. Short story. <laughs> Without a villain, there's no story. 
Villains Next Door is a collection of bad guys or fantasy games. Four fantasy games. Huh. The book contains dozens of ready-to-use villains. Yes. Each unique and fully realized. Yeah. <laughs> Though created with 5th edition in mind, each villain is designed to be used in any RPG system. Yeah. Kabutor? Yep. Kabutor. Kabutor? Which is like goblins. Kabutor. You know I had no. to Google it. I no idea. Kabooter Games assembled a diverse international indie designers to create villains next door just for you. Yes, uh, I really love this product. The person that designed it, R.P. Davis, is an amazing writer um, in D&D. Uh, he does a lot of great content, some of my favorite contents by him, and I know we've covered some of his stuff on the show. Yeah, I hear his name pop up a lot. Um, yeah, and he's edited work for us and stuff, so he's really great. Definitely check this out. Um, who's our winner today? Our winner today is DM Timoculus. If you didn't win, head on over to CritAcademy.com and subscribe for your chance to win! Yeah! Oh, uh, yeah. And if you enjoyed this show and you want to support us, visit us at CritAcademy.com. And follow us on social media, and please, leave us a review. Absolutely. Well, I think that'll do it for our show. I do want to... Uh, Take a moment to appreciate Sartrean's uh, comment. Uh, Sheldon as a dwarven artificer would be so fun. I could not agree more. Somebody that just doesn't get the social social cues and stuff is just hilarious and insulting, and it would be wonderful. Yep. It wouldn't even be a bard who would normally do that sort of stuff. So, yeah. A dwarf <laughs> not understanding social cues from other cultures? No. <laughs> um, I do want to give a shout-out if, you if you're watching live from any other platform. Um, we do encourage everyone to slowly make the move to YouTube. Uh, we have been monetized on YouTube, so everyone that watches uh, helps support the show in a monetary – Give me money, give me uh, money, give me money, give me money. A monetary <laughs> uh, form. So, uh, And all you're doing is watching, which you're already doing. So that will do it for our show today. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Brandon. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Magic idea. I don't want to forget it though. Um, well, say it to the camera. Say it to the camera. Not that. <laughs> camera. It. I'm done with you. <laughs>